Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at the Insurgent film adaptation. And boy, what a fucking mess. <laughs> God, it's, oh, it's not good. I feel like usually when I do the movie breakdowns, I'm like, wow, I enjoyed that more than the book because they cut all this stuff out. But for this one, they cut out a lot and they added in some bullshit and mixed up the plot to make it make less sense. Who would have thought? Who would have thought Insurgent that they could have made Insurgent make less sense? I'm gooped. <laughs> I'm gooped. Before we get into it, I just want to say, so next week we'll be starting the Maze Runner coverage and also keep an eye out in your feeds over the next week or so for a bonus episode. If everything goes according to plan, there will be a special bonus episode in your feeds, but I don't want to give it away just yet. So keep your eyes peeled, keep your little eyeballs peeled. So Insurgent came out in 2015. And I may have watched it on like Netflix around then, but I'm pretty sure I fell asleep because I had no memory of what was going on until like towards the end of the movie, I was thinking maybe I have seen this. And I just read the whole book, not knowing what was going to happen. And I'm not surprised because they changed so much of it. Even if I had seen the movie before, I would not have known what was going on in this book. So yeah, a mess of a movie. And we open with Janine giving a monologue with all of this like matrix little dots on the screen. And then like you're panning out and it's Janine. And she is so ballsy because she's like, wow, that whole attack on abnegation wasn't us. <laughs> Don't look at me. That was a group of divergents pretending to be dauntless. Whereas in the book, she was like, yeah, it was me. What are you going to do about it, cunt? <laughs> she did not give her shit. And also remember when being a Divergent was a secret? Well, not anymore because she's like, the Divergents did it, everyone. Hey, everyone. There's a group of people called Divergents. And then in like the destroyed abnegation sector, there's Eric and he's finding some random fucking box. This box, let's let's just take a sidebar to discuss this box. So apparently Triss's parents were protecting this box and it takes a Divergent person to unlock the box through a simulation. And inside of that box is the video file saying that the whole society is a scam and that they're being kept in this experiment away from the outside world until divergence. You know, it's the thing from the book. Didn't make sense in the book, doesn't make sense now. But why is it in this weird random box? Why did they feel compelled to introduce a MacGuffin? 
Uh, I'll have more to say about that as it keeps coming back up throughout the rest of the movie. But for now, so then we pan to Triss and she's in the forest. She's escaping abnegation and she's running to Amity, apparently. And they just stumble onto Amity. They're like, oh, there's Amity. Like the camp is just on the inside of the fence. In the book, there was the whole thing where they had to go on the other side of the fence to go see Amity. But now Amity live inside of the fence. But then when she gets to Amity, she's having this whole panic attack about Will. She's seeing her dead parents. And then surprise, twist, it was a stress dream. And she's actually already in Amity. And they have been in Amity for some sort of undetermined amount of time. Like we see four pushing a kid on a swing and then she's walking around carrying buckets of water. They're just like acclimatized to Amity life. And I'm like, has it been months? They're wearing Amity clothes. They look different. I swear in the book it was like two days, but I, th- I think they've been at Amity for months, which begs the question, Janine, what are you doing? Why are you not sending an erudite team to come and get all of these like abnegation refugees, divergent rebels, like hello? And she's also not hiding the hard drive with the data. That's been dropped. I don't remember if that was in the film. I feel like she did take some sort of hard drive or something at the end of the film, but that's dropped for this one because it's all about that stupid box. So a bit about Amity, I kind of like how it looks like all like summer camp rustic. She's sleeping in a room with all these hammocks, quite fun vibes. And Octavia Spencer is Joanna. I love Octavia Spencer. I think she's a star, but she's sort of underutilized in this film. And she doesn't even have a scar on her face. The one defining characteristic of Joanna that Veronica Roth nailed into us was that she's horribly disfigured. She might be beautiful if she didn't have a horribly disfiguring scar. She's got this huge distracting scar on her face. It's all anyone can think about, look at. But in this, no scar. I don't know if Octavia just said, I'm not sitting in the fucking makeup chair getting a scar on my face for two scenes that I'm in. She said, no way. And so Marcus, he is there in Amity, but he's barely in the rest of the movie. He doesn't come along on their heist. He doesn't flee with them to the abnegation sector, blah, blah, blah. He's just cut practically. He's not even sneaking into like water filtration buildings to have loud conversations with Joanna. None of that. And he just straight up walks up to Triss and he's like, oh yeah, your mum had a secret mission and it's all about this fucking box. And then we cut to Janine in like a simulation room in the Erudite, just examining this box. And she tells us that there's a message from the founders inside the box. And she's telling us only a divergent can open it. How does she know this? Where did she get that from? Also, how does she know to call them divergent if it was the founder's message that said you should call these people divergent and she hasn't seen the video footage because it's stuck in the box and she can't open the box. Whereas in the book, I think we were led to believe that Janine already knew she's watched the file footage and she was trying to keep it hidden on her private computer in her private lab. But in this one, she doesn't have a clue and yet she's still talking all the lingo even though that should be a secret that's only revealed once the box is opened. I don't know. And then we cut to Triss and Four. They're just having lunch at the Amity compound. I don't think the food's drugged. That's another thing that didn't make it from page to stage. And Peter's there and he's still an asshole, but he's sort of more annoying than sinister just yet. Like he's eating at the table with them and he's just like, la da da, da da dee. They're all just getting along. And I think it's because... I mean, yeah, in the first movie, they did still try and attack Triss and like push her off a bridge, but he doesn't stab that guy in the eye. And I think without the stabbing the guy in the eye scene, Peter's not as much of a villain as you think he would be. You need that stab in the eye to be like, whoa, he's irredeemable. But now he's just chattering at them at lunch and Triss is just like, oh, he's annoying. 
But then he does say something shitty about her parents dying, so, you know, that's a flash of the old Peter that we know and love, and love to hate, actually. And because he said those shitty things, she fights him. And so that's the fight that gets them sort of semi-kicked out of Amity. It's not over the hard drive. I tell you what, I don't miss the hard drive, but the fact that they replaced it with this magical box. (sighs) So then Joanna's threatening to kick them out of Amity. And she's in her office, which is just like a room above a stable. I feel like all their rooms are barns, they're stables. There's not a proper building in sight. And then seemingly after months (laughs) that they've been living at Amity, the erudite are like, oh, we better go and check in on Amity and see if our fugitives are hiding out there. And then, oh my God, they've also introduced this like scanner item that can scan someone's eyes and it says what faction they belong to. How the fuck does that work? What's that about? Like, does the scanner just know what you're at for? Or does it like log into a database, like a registration portal that has tied everyone's retina scans to whatever faction they picked? Because we know that you can pick a faction that you're not apt for. And then later on, that scanner can tell the percentage of divergence. What? Why is there a percentage on divergence? What scriptwriter said, yeah, let's punch up the story by adding this piece of tech in that doesn't make any sense, doesn't link to anything we know about divergence or the faction system. Anyway, so then Peter, Ford, Triss, Caleb, they need to run. They ditch Marcus. They need to run. And Triss is very comfortable with a gun. She had that little stress stream at the start of the film. But other than that, like her PTSD about shooting Will in the head, not as heavy handed in the movie as it is in the book. Because Eric's chasing them and she's like, pop, 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 just shooting the gun super confidently. And Eric's running after them like the Terminator and he's shooting at them. And when he's run out of bullets, he just throws the gun aside. What? How many guns do we have? I was led to believe that this society had scarce resources. Like there's a whole fence around your city. Do you have a gun manufacturing plant? What faction is responsible for making guns? You can't just be throwing guns away when you've run out of bullets. Reload them, Eric. So wasteful. But I guess because it is, you know, dystopian America, there's a plethora of guns. Let's just assume that. So they escape by jumping on a train, a double barrel train that's riding on both sides of the tracks. And it's like the biggest, roomiest train carriage I've ever seen but they do stumble upon the factionless. And again, because we didn't get the eye stabby scene last movie, this factionless guy, it's not the character that we know and love that guy's name. I can't remember. What? Not Eric. Uh, it's not Ethan. I don't know. I, I swear I said it last week. I just read the whole book and I can't remember that guy's name. Um, Charlie? The guy that got stabbed, Edward, Edward. He got stabbed in the eye. Anyway, he's not in this film. It's just some other factionless guy. He's got a stand in. Anyway, so they're confronted in this gigantic train carriage, apparently, because there's dozens of extras just standing around in this lofty carriage. And then eventually a fight breaks out and they're like totally killing the factionless. Like Triss is just throwing them off the train, presumably to their deaths. A full on fight has broken out where I think in the book, Four was just like, oh, hey guys, I'm, I'm Tobias Eaton, how you doing? Like there was a little bit of tension and then he was like, this is my name. But Four in this movie, he's just like, let's just kill a few and then I'll play my trump card. And oh my God, even Caleb's getting in on the action. He's like stabbing someone in the head like 10 times. We don't see it fully, but I'm pretty sure he stabbed someone in the head repeatedly. 
And there's one moment where like Triss is getting choked out and Caleb's just in the background, just standing there unfazed. La da dee, da da da, none of my business. And he did just stab that guy in the head like seven times. Like Caleb, I know you have it in you. And he's just watching her getting choked, almost about to be thrown off by the carriage by not Edward. And then he just like backs up and he was like, "Mm -mm." and that's your red flag for Caleb being a bit of a dodgy, dirty dealer. So after multiple people have died, then Four's like, all right, all right, I'm Tobias Eaton, just so you know. And they're like, Tobias Eaton, you should have said so. So we go to the factionless area and Evelyn, his mum, is played by Naomi Watts, which is fun. And you can tell the factionless have not been missing no meals. They are like the burliest, brawniest people. They're super well equipped with guns. They're a militia already. They're a militia. And like, I'm like, you guys are meant to be the ones that are in abject poverty, right? How do you all have so much muscle? What protein are you getting into your system? But then we cut to like dinner time with Naomi Watts and her long lost son. And oh my God, did you guys, like, have you watched along? Did you notice that they were drinking from crystal goblets? They had a full on table setting. We had napkins. We had bread on separate little bread plates. I saw like a lazy Susan in the middle with a salt and pepper and a soy sauce jar. Where are they getting all this food from? In the books, they're handing around a can of creamed corn and sharing a spoon. But in the movie, they're drinking out of crystal goblets. And even Caleb said earlier on the train, man, like, oh, I was abnegation. My family like gave you guys food. And he pretty much did admit that he thinks that charity is a form of stealing, which was kind of cringe, another red flag. So yeah, like, but they have already established that the abnegation provide food and charity to the factionless. But here they are living it up with like a goblet of red wine and bread rolls, carrots. They're eating fresh carrots. Where did they get those carrots? And Naomi, she pretty much lays it all out there. She's like, oh yeah, we're going to stage a coup and dethrone Janine. And four, he's immediately also like, yeah, and then you probably want to replace her, right? There's no mystery. There's no suspense. And she's like, yeah, I faked my death. And four isn't even that sus. You know how in the book, the way Triss was sort of eavesdropping on their conversations and looking at them through the side of her eye. Oh my God, they're also eating asparagus. I just, I'm watching along as I'm talking and they've also got asparagus on the fucking plate. Where did you get asparagus from, Triss? She's got asparagus on the plate. She's not eating it. Aren't you ravenous? You just had a fight on a train carriage. Why are you not eating? Oh my God, ridiculous. And so what was I saying? Four, he's like super angry at his mum. He's not sus like in the book at all. He's like, yeah, you're dead to me, ma. And he doesn't want to be called Tobias. He's like, my name is Four, which is not a name. It's a number, but irregardless. And so then Triss and Four, they storm off. And Caleb's like, well, I'm going to fucking eat. And so he just like digs into the asparagus and the silver side and the pork and the carrots and the goblet of red wine. It's a feast. It's a Hogwarts feast. I'm seeing China bowls on the table and multiple salts and peppers, multiple. And Four and Triss, they storm off and they've got their own like little private room. In the book, they're sleeping on the floor. They barely have a sleeping bag. It's just like 10 people shacked up together on the floor. But in this one, they've got their own little private boudoir. God, the factionalists are living it up. This is a nicer digs than Emity. Emity had freaking hammocks piled on top of hammocks, which is nice and cozy in a campground kind of a way. But they've got private rooms in the factionless. Why would you not want to be factionless? We haven't seen this type of luxury in any other faction. And so they go to sleep. And then Triss wakes up in the middle of the night and Naomi's just like watching her. Super fucking creepy. Naomi, that is super fucking creepy. 
So Triss and Four, they go off to go and suss out Kanda because they think that the other Dauntless people are at Kanda. And Caleb, he's like, yeah, guys, I'm going to dip. He says, I'm staying back. I'm not that interested in going to Kanda. And it's pretty obvious to the moviegoer. He's going to go dog them and go to Erudite. He's going to dog the boys. Whereas in the book, you know, we had that other abnegation girl, their old next door neighbor. And you thought that he was going to try and smash with her. And you thought, oh, that's why he's staying behind. Because he wants to smash that girl from abnegation. He wants to smash that stiff. But because we don't have that in the movie, it's just like, yeah, you're going back to Erudite. You're a dodgy dealer. I, I can't believe I'm sitting here saying, I wish things weren't cut. Reading the book, I was like, oh, I'd cut that, I'd cut that, I'd cut that. But now watching the movie, I'm like, put that shit back in. Maybe Veronica was onto something. Still a terrible book, but maybe she was onto something because it flowed a lot better than this schlocky little movie. So they get to Kanda. They climb over all this rubble, by the way, to get to Kanda. How have they not cleaned up this city? It's been decades. Clean up the city. There's so much rubble in this movie, so much rubble. And so they get to Kanda and there's Christina. And she's like, oh, hey, Triss, have you seen Will? And Triss is like, uh, no, no, I have not. And so within the Dauntless faction that is staying at Kanda, Tori's already there and she's already pretty much running the shit. She's not off doing some sort of recon mission at Erudite. She's just there from the jump. But then also she gets pretty sidelined. She's not as impactful as in the book, because they don't have the leadership ceremony where they promote for and Tory and Hamish or Hamilton or whatever that guy's name to um, leadership positions. They don't, they don't do that in the movie. And so Tori sort of just disappears. And what confused me is that Four and Triss are being treated like fugitives, clearly, and they volunteer for the truth serum to sort of absolve themselves and get themselves off the hook. But like, I thought Janine was telling us at the start of the movie that Divergent Rebels did it, not Dauntless. But it sort of seems like Kanda doesn't believe Janine. So if they're just going to take the truth serum and be like, admitting that they're, oh, they're just Dauntless, they weren't under a simulation, then I I don't know. They're going to admit that they're Divergent, so shouldn't, I don't know. I think with the movie cut in a few corners, the character motivations are a bit nonsensical. So I'm a bit lost in like, the logic behind this whole truth serum nonsense. But anyway, so they go and do truth serum and fours up first. And yeah, it's a gigantic needle right into the neck. That's one thing that did make it from the book to the movie. <laughs> the big giant fucking ass needles getting stabbed into the neck. I'll never understand it. But also there's no interrogation chair. Remember how much importance we put on the interrogation chair in that book? It was a main character all of its own, but in this, they're just standing up. And I will say quick sidebar, that the Kanda building, it looks really sleek. I kind of actually really like it. It doesn't match up with the rubble outside the building. The city is in ruins, but on the inside of this Kanda building, it's sleek. It's like modern design. And I do think that the production design team did a good job in showing the different factions having different sort of decor. Like the Amity's all rustic, the Kanda's all sleek and modern. I think it's a nice touch. That's one thing the movies did well. And so Jack Kang's asking for about whether he was part of the attack on abnegation. And there's one moment where he says, oh, I couldn't leave Triss because I'm in love with her. And all of the people watching the interrogation, all of the Kanda, the Dauntless who are watching, they're like, oh, oh, and there's like all this muttering around the room. Oh, oh, did you hear that? Oh, he loves Triss. And I'm like, why, why do you care? 
if I was watching a courtroom scene and they just said, oh, I loved this person, I'd be like, okay, carry on. Like, why do I give a shit? But apparently everyone in Kanda is so invested in this relationship. They're all like, oh my God, he said the L word. Oh, that's so exciting. What? Are they Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez? Like, why do we care? Are they the celebrities of Kanda? And then it's Triss's turn. And yep, huge fucking needle right to the neck. And Jack asks her why she wasn't under the simulation. And she's like, I'm divergent. And everyone's like, oh, wow, okay. Like, what? Did we not hear Janine's propaganda speech at the start of the film? Wouldn't admitting that you're a divergent make you seem more of a threat? Oh, and also, they don't say the simulation attack. They don't say the simulation. They just say the sim. I don't know if they did this in the first movie, but in this movie, it's, oh, the sim. Oh, we've got to put her under a sim. Hey, did we get under the sim? Oh, I'm just going to go under a sim. Oh, we need to run the sim. They've never shortened any other word before. All the citizens of Chicago, they have time to say abnegation. And they've never shortened that, but they've got to shorten simulation down to sim. What? Oh, and also, cat's out of the bag about Will. She's like, yeah, I killed Will. And she does look upset when she says it. And Christina's like, mildly shocked. Zoe Kravitz just does some heavy breathing. She like, (laughs) doesn't even break down. She doesn't cry. And they largely ignore that. And Will's sister, Kara, she's cut from the film. So we don't have her at least being a bit of a bitch to Triss. She gets away with it. She killed Will and everyone's like, oh, okay, carry on. And Jack just ends the interrogation by being like, oh, thank you for your candor. He doesn't do that whole, Tris, let me be the one to tell you that you are dauntless. You have acted dauntlessly. (laughs) He doesn't, you know, prime the pump like he did in the book. I still don't understand why he was so effusive in his praise in the book. But in this one, it's just like, okay, interrogation over, whatever. And Christina and Tris just have like, one moment of a little bit of tension where Christina's given her the silent treatment and that's about it. And so then we cut to Janine, she's running a sim on some Amity Divergent and they're hooked up to like all of these cables and just floating in the sky. There's no chairs. Every time she was running a test in the book, we were getting a description of the chair and the table, a full on description. It was like a dentist chair, but in the movie, no chairs. There's no chairs. And Tris, she doesn't throw that interrogation chair off of the building like she did in the book, because again, there was no interrogation chair. It's like Veronica Roth had this huge fetish for chairs and the movie said, that's weird. Why are we getting so many descriptions of chairs and some action with chairs, plot with chairs, we're throwing chairs out of windows, we're talking about chairs, we're moving chairs, we're sitting on chairs. And the movie said, we don't have time for all of this chair nonsense. Let's just have a floating in a room attached to some cables which I prefer. And so Janine, she's running the tests on divergence, not to see how their brain works like she did in the book, but to get them to open up this stupid box. A divergent has to pass every sim to open the box and... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. She says, we need to find a very special divergent and then the camera cuts to Tris. And it's like, yeah, okay, pretty heavy handed. Come off it, Janine. How Janine hasn't just automatically assumed that it'll be Tris, I don't know. So we're back at Kanda and there's Kid Flash. Kid Flash is there and I'm like, who is this? Are we meant to know who this is? Because he and Tris are just having a chat, staring out at the horizon. And he says like, oh, sometimes I'm looking out at beyond the wall and I think I see lights. And I'm like, yeah, you probably do because there's a world outside there, bud. I actually had to Google who the fuck this was meant to be. How are we meant to know who it is? And it's Uriah. I had to go to IMDB to figure it out, but it's Uriah, who apparently wasn't in the first movie. They cut him. And so now they're like, oh, we'll just introduce him in the second movie without any fanfare and pretend he was there all along. So while Uriah and Triss are just having a meet cute on the balcony, then they get attacked by the traitor Dauntless. So that happens super quick. In the book, we were at Canter for quite a while. There was crying in bathrooms. There was awkward cafeteria chats. There was Marlene. There was Lynn being classic Lynn. Marlene was being classic Marlene. Kara was saying Triss has a big nose. We don't get that. We don't get that. They're already getting attacked. And the attack sort of goes similar to how it did in the book with everyone getting shot up with transmitter signals. Except Triss is on the run and she's like running down to the basement of all places. And Uriah's there too. And Uriah's like, why are we the only ones awake? And she says, because Uriah, you're divergent. And like, okay, that would have had more impact if we weren't just introduced to Uriah in the previous scene. 
So they've gathered all the Divergent and they're kneeling in the lobby or wherever, including what is one of the worst child actors I've ever seen. And of course, she's got to wear like a little white nighty to look even more childlike and innocent. And then Eric whips out that, that scanner and he puts it up to someone's eyes and they're like, scanning, scanning, Divergent, 10%. And then he's like, 10%, that's boring. And then he shoots them in the head. How, do, how does this scanner thingy know the percentage of divergence? How is there a percentage? How did this technology get developed? Especially since Janine's not run any tests on divergent people, apparently. She's just winging it. Who programmed this scanner? In the first book, the first movie, we were led to believe that Janine's hunting down divergent people. She's telling Eric, monitor the aptitude tests, monitor the dauntless initiation simulations. We need to find divergent people. If you've got this fucking scanner, just, just walk around scanning people. Do that in the aptitude test instead of, instead of running that simulation. And then they scan Triss and she's apparently 100% divergent. How? I'm not too sure because we know that she's only apt for three of the five factions. So I don't know how she's 100% divergent, but I guess divergents are when your brain's different, not that you belong in all the factions. So Eric's about to take Triss back to Janine, but then Four and his cronies are like, not so fast, Eric. And they straight up jump him. And then Four just executes Eric. As I said before, no leadership promotion, no discussion. They just kill Eric. And then the Dauntless are like, well, we're leaving Kanda. Bye. There's none of that like meeting between Kanda and Janine's representative on the bridge where they're sneaking out to eavesdrop. Remember that big plan to eavesdrop? We dropped that storyline and they're just leaving Kanda just cause. And then even though they got the jump on Eric, one of the, one of the Dauntless people must have escaped with the scanning tool. And they're already back at Erudite showing Janine. And she's like, ah, Triss. Yep. Of course it'd be her. Of course it'd be Triss. And then Peter comes waltzing in. What kind of security does Erudite have? Peter's just waltzing in to talk to the leader of Erudite. And he's like, oh, hey. Yeah, I'm, I'm a 16, 17 year old boy. I just thought I'd help you guys out. But Janine does say, well, you'll have to prove your worth to me instead of just promoting him to right-hand man like she seemingly does in the book. So the Dauntless just go back to Dauntless. There's no paintball fight. There's no celebratory cake in the cafeteria where Triss is judging people for eating too much cake. We just skip over that and we go straight into the drone attack. And the drone announcement isn't like, Hey, send over divergent people so we can test them. It's specifically give us Triss, hand over Triss prior specifically. We don't just want any random divergent. We want Triss specifically, which does make more sense, or at least it makes Triss seem less stupid when she sacrifices herself and gives herself over to the erudite. And so we've got people standing on the ledge in Dauntless, including Christina, which I think was a good change. In the book, Christina's waking her up and Marlene jumps, but we're not really attached to Marlene as much. So we put Christina in the line of fire and Triss rescues her. But my thing is, and I've watched this closely, they're standing up on the ledge just under where they normally would jump as the entry point to the Dauntless HQ. Remember last movie? She got off the train after the choosing ceremony and she jumped first into Dauntless HQ and there was this big giant net. And she had to jump into the hole in the ground. And she was like, oh my God, there's a net. Great. I knew there'd be a net. And everyone's like, oh wow, there's a net. And they all jump into the net. They've removed the net. They're all standing there ready to jump off a ledge. And I'm like, well, why, why isn't the net there? 
This all could have been solved if someone didn't take the net down. Why did they take the net down? I thought the net was a permanent fixture. Anyway, so she saves Christina's life, which I assume helps them mend their relationship, but they, again, don't really bring it up. They acknowledge that Marlene's dead. (laughs) And Naomi's there with her little factionless cronies, and they're discussing a plan of attack. I don't remember in the book when the factionless got the call up to go and hang out at Dauntless, but apparently they have. And so Tris obviously is going to go and hand herself over. But first she's like, I better root for. So they root and she walks into Erudite. But in the movie, she's immediately caught. Security pounce on her. In the book, she just like walked up to reception and she's like, hi, um, just looking to sacrifice myself. I'm volunteering myself for the tests on the divergent population. And no one gave a shit. She just waltzed right into the lobby. But in this one, they're like, oh, this is Tris. Let's just capture her real quick. Makes a lot more sense. And so Peter apparently has already proven himself to Janine because he's the number one guardsman. He's on Tris patrol. And he's been quite the asshole about it. And at this point in time, he does not owe her his life because she didn't save him when they were fleeing Amity. That didn't happen in the movie. So he doesn't owe her shit, basically. And Peter's like, hey, there's this box. You need to open the box. To open the box, you need to pass the Sims of all five factions. If you could just do that, that'd be great. And I don't know how she can do this since she's not apt for Candor or Amity. Theoretically, she should only be able to pass three of the five Sims, but they're going to try it. And then there's Janine with her hand in a bandage because Tris stabbed her (laughs) in the last movie. I swear she wasn't in a bandage the whole first half of this film. But now she's like, I better put a prop bandage on my wrist to make Tris feel bad. I swear she did not have that bandage on her arm before. So Tris overpowers Peter and like slams him against the glass wall, breaking his nose. There's blood all over his face blood on his hands and she gets the gun and she's like, I'll shoot him. I swear I'll shoot him. Stop the suicides and I'll shoot him. First of all, it's not really a suicide. If their minds are being controlled by someone else and they're being forced to step off a ledge to their deaths, it's not a suicide. And she's like, stop the suicides, Janine. And Janine's like, nah, kill him. (laughs) She's like, kill Peter. I don't give a shit. But she lets Peter go because she can't do it. She can't bring herself to shoot him. And she shoots like the wall. Apparently, I'm like, is this gun filled with blanks? Because there was no dent made in that wall and the bullets didn't ricochet into her face. Seemingly no consequence from shooting the gun at the wall three times. But then she's holding the gun to her head. So there must be bullets in it because then Janine's like, oh, Tris, don't shoot yourself, doll. And so she sends in Caleb and he's looking quite snazzy. He looks great. Erudite looks good on Caleb. There, I said it. So Tris is like, fine. She's defeated. She's betrayed. She's like, fine. If I do this, will the suicides stop? And Janine's like, not until you pass all five Sims, then the suicides will stop. Stop calling them suicides. So the cables come down from the wall. She goes into the Sim in that floating invisible chair. So the Sims are visually quite cool. Make no sense, but they're visually quite cool. And like from everything we know about Triss, she's good at realizing when she's in a simulation but apparently not anymore. (laughs) One of the hallmarks of being divergent was that you know when you're in a sim, your mind can't be controlled by a sim. And so I don't know why they have to pass a sim in order to open the box. Just show the box the results of the eye scanner. She's 100% divergent. What more proof do they need? But in order to pass, she has to exhibit the trait of 
the faction that they're running the sim for. So the Dauntless one is first, so she has to be like brave or whatever. And then eventually she has to be, you know, she has to be kind, she has to be smart, she has to be selfless, blah, blah, fucking blah. So it's not got anything to do with how her brain works. Oh. And so we're just gonna pretend that she's apt for Candor and Amity, which she is not. We're just gonna pretend. So the box needs a, a Dauntless sim to be passed in order to open. But Janine's doing the programming of the actual sim, right? Why is she making it so hard? Wouldn't you just program an easy sim in order to open the box quicker? That's what you want. You want the box open. But meanwhile, so the house, her mum's trapped in the house and it's burning, but it's also floating. (laughs) And like, it's just like flying through the sky, like the house from up. And she hasn't realized she's in a sim yet. Nothing seems odd to Triss. She can notice a sim from the smallest little detail. From just choice of words alone, she's like, oh my God, I'm in a sim. But now there's this burning floating house flying around like a barn caught in a twister and she's not clocked it at all. Not clocked it at all. So then she passes the dauntless sim and I'm like, okay, would they not just pull her out and then have her do another sim? But I think they're trying to do it cumulatively because she's just having this like conversation with her dead mum. And I'm like, are they just keeping her in that sim for closure? I don't know why they're doing that, but no, no, they kept her in because that allows her to pass the other Sims for the other factions in the process. So she must have said the truth. She must have told her mum the truth and that helped her pass the Candace Sim. Okay. I think, I think this is a stitch up. She's got to swing around on this cable, trying to break into a burning house that's floating above the skyline just to pass one Sim. But to pass the can to Sim, she's just got to say a few words and be like, oh yeah, I'm being honest. <gasps> Passed. How can other people not pass that? How do you need to be truly divergent to pass that? And that like Amity person, that divergent Amity person that died earlier trying to do the Sim, how did they not pass it? Like, <sighs> is it that hard to tell the truth and be nice and be selfless and be brave all at the same time? <sighs> I don't know if it's that hard. So she passes the Candace Sim by just getting resolution with her dead mum. Lame. And then she's being rescued by four. And how she still hasn't figured out that that's a Sim, I don't know. Because then she's escaping and she's pointing the gun at Peter, who does not have a broken nose. There's no blood on his face. There's no blood on his hands. He looks fine. And she doesn't think, huh, I just broke that guy's nose. She doesn't think it. She just assumes she's in reality. And then she doesn't kill him. And that's an important plot point, apparently. Okay, just keep a pin in that. She says, I can't kill you, Peter, because once a stiff, always a stiff. And that helps her apparently pass the abnegation sim. But I think not killing someone is more of like an amity trait than a selfless trait for abnegation, right? Sparing someone's life seems kind rather than selfless. So I don't get once a stiff, always a stiff. Are stiffs known for not killing people? I guess, but so are all the factions except for Dauntless, technically. I don't know, forgiveness seems more of an amity trait. There I said it. But then she's running off with four and he makes a reference to something and she's like, oh, how would you know that? You weren't there for that conversation. So again, she twigs from just a few words, an odd choice of word and she twigs, but a burning floating building, (laughs) she doesn't know. She's usually so good at figuring out a sim, but no, not in this one. And she knows she's in a sim, but she's like, I'm still going to talk to four for a bit for again, more character relationship resolution and some closure. 
So she tells Thor that it's a sim, and then he starts disintegrating like Thanos just snapped him in Infinity War. And because she's figured out that she's in a sim, that passes the erudite sim. Oh, uh, excuse me. And this is where Janine tells Peter, oh, Peter, she passed the abnegation sim because she spared your life. And he's like, oh my God, she spared my life? Wow. And also in reality, Peter's nose doesn't look broken. So I I gotta give it to Triss on that one. And she's only got one sim left, the Amity sim, but it looks like she's dying apparently. So Caleb's like, pull her out, she's dying. Let's try again tomorrow, which doesn't make sense. I would have just pushed through. Like you've got one left, just push through. So then she's being carried off and Peter starts thinking like, oh my God, in her sim, she didn't kill me. I owe her my life because she didn't kill me in a simulation. And I'm like, do you not remember when she didn't kill you in real life? Shouldn't that be why you owe her one? Because she had a gun to your head in that little interrogation chamber and she let you go. But now he's like, wow, she saved me in a sim. I owe her one. That doesn't make any fucking sense. You know what? His motivation for rescuing Tristan makes sense in the book, but it's even worse now. So Tris is being held in a cell and Caleb comes and visits her. And oh my God, she sits up. And I am sorry, but she has the biggest bed head. She's got Cameron Diaz hair from something about Mary. You know, you know, when she's got that fringe or flicked up. She looks like that. She looks like drop dead Fred. Her hair is just sticking up like she's been sleeping on it wrong. I was so distracted. I don't even know what was going on in that scene. I think they were talking about family bonds and betraying parents and shit. But I was just distracted by that hair. Oh, no, actually, I do remember. Caleb says that his parents wouldn't be ashamed of him because he was willing to sacrifice his only sister for the greater good. What's more selfless than that? What? What? Say that again, Caleb, and think about what you just said, you dummy. Oh, my parents would be proud that I was willing to sacrifice someone else, my sister, for the greater good. That's not how sacrifice works. You can't just choose to sacrifice other people and think that you're selfless because of that. Oh, my parents will be proud that I'm getting my sister killed. What? What? So they're walking her out and she discovers that four has been captured. So, so maybe he did try and break her out. I don't know. We don't get that subplot where he's trying to get into control room A. And so they've pulled her in for the sim again. And Janine's saying to her, God, it's ironic, isn't it? That you have to be kind and pass an Amity sim, even though you're filled with hate. Okay, but she already forgave Peter. How is that not passing the Amity sim? Whatever. So Janine makes her so angry. She just runs and breaks through the glass that the gun did not break earlier. This is your sign that it's a sim, Triss. You figure it out from one misspoken word from fake four in a fake fucking reality. But but now you're running through walls like you're the Kool-Aid man and you're not noticing. You're not twigging. And then the whole building somehow is disintegrating like Thanos just snapped it. The whole building exploded somehow. (sighs) Who knows how? But in this simulation, apparently the building's exploded and she's falling to her death. Oh, but then we get the big reveal that she's still in a sim. We get the shot of her attached to the cables. Oh, big reveal. No fucking shit. No fucking shit. And everyone's like, oh, we should pull her out of the sim, pull her out of the sim. And Janine's like, no, keep her in there. We need to see what happens. And I'm like, she's falling from a disintegrating building to her death. How can she exhibit Amity falling to her death? Why would you want to keep her in this sim, Janine? Think it through. You're meant to be the smart one. No, keep, keep going, keep going. She's about to demonstrate kindness to what? A seagull that's going past? 
Just pull her out and try again. It's not like we're running out of simulation time. You've got all fucking day. Anyway, so Tris dies, apparently. She dies because who knows why? Who knows why? And Janine's shocked. She's like, what? She's dead. How could she have died? And Janine's having a meltdown. And again, Caleb's in the background, just given Nooch the most unfazed expression on his face. Not even a grimace, not even a slight look of concern. He's just like, oh, I wonder what I'm going to have for dinner tonight. Sister's just dead, doesn't give a shit. So we all know that this is Peter faking her death so that he can pay her back from the debt that he owes from when she didn't kill him in her sim, apparently. But how did Peter pull this off? I don't know how he pulled this one off. He tells us later that it was just like a paralytic. He just injected her with a paralytic. How did you fake the simulation and the wires and the whatsies and the dangles and the computers? You didn't touch any of that. You just gave her a paralytic and that's that. Seems a bit easy. So yeah, Peter reunites four with Triss and he's like, now we're even stiff. How? She saved your life in a simulation. Okay, now we're even, sure. And I'm thinking, great, they've rescued her. Let's get out of there like they did in the book. But no, she wants to go back for the box. She's like, actually, let's go and do what I've been captured and forced and tortured to do. Let's just do that which seems stupid, but it streamlines the movie. So there's no like breaking back into Erudite. They don't go to Amity and get Nando and Kara and cross a ladder bridge into the next building with some candid drones. All of that's cut out. No bathroom visit with that girl with the toilet paper stuck on a shoe. None of that. We just are still in the building. So we don't need to break into the building. And Peter, even though he's like, well, now we're even, he's like, okay, I'll continue to help you break further and deeper into the building. And so Peter, he just goes on the computer and he's like, do, 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 do. And he gives four like full access permission into the building. He uploads four's eye scan to the cloud or whatever and gives him access. And I'm like, you joined Erudite yesterday, Peter. How do you have these security permissions to upload a new user profile into the like database to give them full administrative access to to break into the prison and to the room with the box. I don't know why we entrusted Peter with that. And Janine, even though Triss is apparently dead, she's left Caleb in the control room. So now Janine and Caleb are like best buds in the control room. And I'm like, I thought he was only there as leverage for Triss to be cooperative. But no, apparently Caleb's risen to the ranks. Again, these, these people are like 16, 17 years old. They just finished school. And Triss, she's like, you know what? I don't want to steal the box. I want to open the box. So we have to run the simulation. Why did we have the fake death and the Peter escape if we're just just back to where we started? Like, I understand rewriting the story to fit an adaptation, but but you just gave us this obstacle that led nowhere. The last three scenes have no importance because we're just back opening the box with a simulation. So it's in this simulation that we get the Triss versus Mira Triss fight. It's not a security barrier to get to Janine's lab like it is in the book. But I just do not understand how Triss fighting herself is an Amity Sim. And so she fights herself, she's fighting herself, and then she forgives herself. They barely fight and then she thinks, you know what, I'm just going to forgive myself. And that checks the Amity box. Even though I feel like she just forgave Peter and that checked the abnegation box. But okay, so forgiveness is Amity. (laughs) Self-forgiveness is Amity. Okay. And so the box opens up and then that plays the video. So we've got the video already. There's no factionless takeover of Erudite. There's no storming Erudite. 
There's no Triss being treated like a war criminal. She's, the video's just playing. They really threw the source material out the window. So they play the video. It's basically the same as the book, but I just don't understand it. The purpose of this experiment still doesn't make sense to me. And like, if divergence are so special and that's what they're waiting for to go and save the outside world, why did they design a box that would kill the divergent people trying to open it? (laughs) Janine's just burned through a number of divergent people who were killed trying to open this box. So if they're that special and important, they're the basis of your plan, your like 200 years long plan to rescue the humanity of the outside world. Why would you put them at risk? Doesn't make any sense to me. So Naomi finally infiltrates Erudite and Four's like, okay, let's play the video for everyone. Not much of a discussion. And then they play the video for everyone. And so we see all of the different factions, the citizens just walking onto the streets to come and watch this video. And then after the video, people just start running to the wall. Like what, what do they expect to do once they get to the wall? Who's going to open the wall? When you get to the other side of the wall, what do you think you'll find? You can see there's like a barren hellscape. Like Michigan is dried up. Where are you running to? But they're all running to the wall. And Uriah, he's like, I knew it. (laughs) I knew it all along. And Four's like, you've changed everything, Triss. You've changed everything. Has she? And everyone just seems so happy when they're running to the wall. I'd be like, oh, my whole life's been a lie. But they're all like, yeah, let's go to the wall. Woohoo. And there's just like swarms of people exiting their faction headquarters. More people than we've ever seen. And yeah, the video does clarify that it's been 200 years. And yet the Ferris wheel still works. The elevator at the Hancock building still works. (laughs) 200 years. Who knew that a Ferris wheel could outlive like the cockroaches? And so they're panning out as all of the citizens are running to the wall through the rubble of the streets. And I'm thinking, okay, that's a bit of a flop ending. Like we didn't get the fight with Tori killing Janine. But then we see Janine in like prison, I guess. But then Naomi, she comes up behind her, shoots her in the head. So that's like a hint of a factionless takeover, but like not really. More effective in the books, but in the books it was still ridiculous that the Dauntless would give over their guns. (laughs) Ridiculous. But it was kind of fun to see Naomi shoot Kate Winslet. Love that. So that's the movie. What a fucking mess of a movie. Let me know your thoughts. And as I said, we'll be starting Maze Runner next week. So get hyped for that and keep your eyes peeled for a special bonus Perhaps. <laughs> I'll see you then. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. 